everybody has differences between each other. You know, there's different layers to diversity, right? Your personality, all of our personalities are different. So that's a difference that we have to deal with within organization. Then there's all these different layers, but at a very fundamental le a level, we all have differences between us. And so what we need to know is that our lived experiences is gonna shape the way that we react to things that are happening in the workplace. everybody and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian and I'm excited for today's episode. We'll be talking with Sajil Thacker. Sajil is a Chief Civility Officer, Legal Training Ninja, and TEDx speaker. Her mission is to make our workplaces more civil. I'm looking forward to talking to her about just how that is accomplished. So let's sit back, relax, and talk to Sajil about making our workplaces more civil. Sejo, welcome to Lead with Impact. Thank you, Brian. So great to be here. It is great to have you here. I have been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while. So thank you for making the time. You're welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I love the work that you do, Brian. So anything I can do to add value is a bonus. Well, that's kind of you to say. Let's talk about you and what you do. What's your mission? How do you help people? Well, Brian, you know, I've been representing management in harassment and discrimination cases pretty much my whole career since 2003. And so looking at organizations through that legal lens and seeing just all kinds of incivility that takes place at organizations, it was too late for me to actually help anyone after the lawsuit was filed. So, you know, over the years, I've had a passion for training, and I just think that companies can do a lot more proactively to foster a culture of dignity and respect for everyone at their organization. So there's things that people can do. And so I just went for it. In November of 2017, I started up my own business where I work with employers on helping them with their training needs, with drafting their policies. I do workplace investigations and really sort of just proactively helping them create a culture of civility and, and dignity and respect for all. What made you choose this topic? It's, it's honestly just being an attorney and, and working with organizations for this many years. I, I just saw so much room where things can be addressed differently. And really the biggest thing for me was how I felt like organizations were spending a lot of money, but on the wrong things, or maybe they should be spending it on different things that can get them bigger and better results. Almost like they're spending money on damage control after the damage has been done instead of on prevention. Absolutely. That's, that's right on target. And then the other area too was, you know, just how they were handling workplace investigations. You know, it was it, a lot of it, even training was all about just checking a box and meeting a requirement, but not really looking at the culture of the organization. I have seen, you know, the work I do, certainly this is a topic that comes up and up again. And it is always interesting to me to put myself in the minds of the people who are making the decisions about these types of things. And I really think, and you can tell me if you agree or not, 
I just think that for a lot of people, if they can get away with it, they just want to pretend that it's not happening. They want to pretend that everything's fine. They want to pretend that everybody is nice to each other. And if it's not, they're not, it's no big deal. But we don't have those kinds of problems here. <laughs> so we're just going to keep plugging right along. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. That's it. Yeah. And and that's that's where it was too late, you know, and, and and that's what I mean. As an attorney, like I saw this, I over and over again, you know, where I would talk to managers, I'm talking about middle managers, right, who I think are very important in preventing harassment or incivility from happening in organizations. And I would literally be talking to them about basic things about what did you ask the person that was making a complaint? How did you investigate this? What did you do post investigation? And I was getting answers like they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. So I was spending so much of my time just educating managers on what they should and shouldn't do versus actually worrying about defending the complaint. And it was, I'm talking about basic skills, right? I mean, what kind of questions should I be asking somebody when they're making a complaint? And I'm like, okay, now I know there's a problem here. And it's, it's always been like that. And, you know, I'm in California. And even when you look at things like, what organizations were doing after an investigation. It was like, okay, we, we got this investigation done. Let's move on. And I'm like, wait a second. There was a reason why that complaint was filed. We need to address the core, the root cause of what is leading these kinds of complaints and why you're seeing these issues. You know, so that was one side of it. And then the other side of it was too, I heard organizations saying, we don't have those issues. Like you said, we don't have those issues here. And I'm like, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have issues. That just means people aren't reporting their concerns. Whole different ballgame. We want to encourage people to speak up and bring concerns to management, to HR, because unless management and HR knows about sort of what the issues are, they can't do anything about it. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think that's the issue. I think you hit on it because you said we want people to bring these issues to us. I don't think everyone does. I think they would much rather pretend it's not there and just hope everybody sucks it up and keeps doing and somehow dealing with it. Absolutely. I mean, the statistics are there to support that, Brian. You know, they say three out of four people don't report incidents because they're afraid of retaliation. And consistently since about 2017, that has been the number one complaint that's been filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is the federal agency which oversees harassment, discrimination, and retaliation complaints nationwide. It's the number one complaint that's being filed. And so that tells us something, that there's a problem. People should be trying to, and I think the reason why that is, is a lot of times it's a mentality of escalate the issue versus let's resolve the issue at the earliest levels possible. Right. And that's the gap. Right. And it has to start at the top because if you're an HR manager, who well, I assume you deal with a lot of HR managers, mm -hmm. they don't want to have to go to the person above them and tell them there's a problem. Right. They would love for that person above them to think that there are no problems whatsoever. And yeah. that somehow we, it was a, a Disneyland where everyone is, you know, super kind and nice and sweet all the time. So I think to have the courage to even broach the topic in a proactive way is impressive because not everyone will do it. And, and, and that's what I work with. I, that's what I talk to organizations about is 
not just, you know, be proactive. You got to have effective training. Okay. I mean, this is the core of it. It's like, it, unless people are trained on what behaviors are acceptable, what behaviors are not acceptable and what they can do when they're dealing with these situations. So if someone is rude or unprofessional to you, you know, how do you respond to that? We want to empower people to try to work these out on their own instead of escalating it up. But most organizations are saying, no, just report it, report it, report it. And then when it gets reported, unless it's legally actionable is what I'm seeing, is that unless it's legally actionable, the organization is not doing as much as they could be right. to address the issue in the culture rather than just that one specific complaint. Right. Maybe we can take a step back, Sajel. Could you define incivility? Yeah, and so great question. Incivility, and, and by the way, you know, look, it's only been three years. I'm actually just coming up on my three-year anniversary in November since I've been standing on my feet, right, doing my, doing my company. But incivility has increased significantly just this year, okay? So what I talk about incivility is it's a whole spectrum of behaviors. It's anything from rude, unprofessional, unwelcome, dismissive behaviors, abusive conduct, bullying, all the way to your illegal behavior category, and it also includes things like microaggressions. So it's a whole spectrum of behaviors. And, and again, that's where I think there is room that we can improve on is that up until recently, you know, organizations were only ordering or requiring employees to take what was mandatory, what was legally required versus teaching people how to be respectful. Look, you can't expect this. And I say this at almost every single podcast I do, but seriously, you can't expect us all to come from our own different lives with our own different lived experiences, our own different lens that we look at the world and then put us all in a pot together and say, get along. We, we need some skills. We need to know how to communicate. We need to know how to resolve conflict. We need to know how to say something so it's not going to further escalate the issue, right? So, so incivility is also, it's viewed in the eyes of the recipient, right? And so, you know, you might say, for example, you in your culture, there are some cultures that say, you know, if you stand more than two feet away from somebody, that's disrespectful. Okay. So I might be at work and there could be someone standing next to me and they're trying to show me respect. Meanwhile, I'm getting uncomfortable because it's crossing my personal boundaries that I have. So I need to know, like, can I say this to this person? How should I say this person? And we can't just expect people to know. They don't know because they're at work. They know how to respond to things at home. But at work, every, it's almost like people are told not to talk about it in some of these trainings, right? Don't talk about it. Don't ask any questions. It's almost like I've had that happen to me when I come out there like, Sajel, you know, and I'm like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying you have to still be respectful. You still have to be professional. You still have to monitor your tone. And here's some scripting that you can use when you're in these situations. And the research shows if these issues are handled, properly at the earliest levels, that resolves a lot of these issues. Because I mean, think about it. Most of us spend so much time at work. Sadly, some of us spend way more time at work than we do with our loved ones, right? So the last thing we want is to go to work and then be in an environment where we're uncomfortable or we're not sure how to respond to somebody. So we got to give people skills in how to do that. And you're right when you say that it starts from the top. There has to be a strong, visible commitment by leadership that civility is going to be throughout the fabric of the organization. And then you have to have accountability at all levels, 
right? So I've recently been telling people, you know, this is something that is like tie how you measure performance for leaders on whether they're enforcing civility or not in the organization. So are they upholding the policies? Are they modeling good behavior? Are they responding correctly to complaints? These kinds of issues that we would expect from leaders and then make your policies broader, not just what's legally required, but make them around civility that we're not gonna tolerate X amount, you know, the, the illegal behaviors, zero tolerance. The discourteous, rude, unprofessional behaviors, macroaggressions, these are going to be handled. You can get disciplined or terminated again. And everybody needs to be empowered to lead, to report issues that kind of come out of those areas. And that's the only way that I believe this can work. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> that's a good thing. That is great. First of all, and I've, I've said this on here, I think on this podcast and other episodes, I think it's a dilemma in some ways because obviously us both being HR people, we know there's all sorts of regulations about, for instance, harassment, different forms of harassment mm -hmm. that companies may be required to put into place for their employees. And while I love that it's required, I almost think sometimes that making it required makes it easier for people to check the box and say, oh, they watched the video, or hey, we gave them the same training they've heard for the past 15 years and it keeps working. We check the box and we're done with that till next year. And so in some ways I worry that it's almost become too easy to dismiss the importance of effective training versus rather just saying we did the training. It has not worked. And that's the point. It's, it's like, look, in 2016, EEOC, and this is literally like my business plan, is this report by EEOC. It came out in 2016. It was a task force report. It was over a 100-page report where they looked at training efforts for a number of years. And they said, it has not worked. What you're doing is not working. And, and what they really said was, look, we urge employers to move their training efforts to be a holistic approach, more focused on civility. Here comes my chief civility officer title. Based on civility, that's what organizations need to focus on, and bystander intervention, right? So people need to know what to do as bystanders. Because, for example, if I'm the one that's being harassed at work, we would, we would like to encourage people that are victims of harassment to report, but we know that they don't for a lot of reasons, one being retaliation, but also because they're dealing with the trauma from being harassed. It's really the bystander's responsibility to speak up when they see these things happening in the workplace and to speak up appropriately and timely, right? So that's what the EEOC said. Look, SHRM came out with a report that said over a five-year period of time, uh, five-year period that they found that employers have spent $223 billion because of employees leaving organizations because of turnover. That's just turnover. So it's not working what they've been doing. And so you're right when you say that it, it, it almost creates a crutch. And that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing is that I've seen that crutch over and over again, not just from training perspective too, but also from their diversity training, but also in the diversity inclusion effort. What I've seen happen out there hasn't worked because there is no one-size-fits-all solution. You have to create a diversity and inclusion, a comprehensive training strategy, including diversity and inclusion, based on the people that you have. 
Right. So if you've got, for example, you know, I'm going to take the conversation away from race for a second because it seems like I'm always talking about race right now because that's on everyone's radar. I'm going to change it to age for now. They say that employees are expected to stay in the workplace way longer than they ever have in the past. That means we are going to have, and I think we're already starting to see that in some places, five different generations of employees, different ages working together. You can't ignore that. You can't just get, a, you know, let me get a diversity and inclusion that's off the shelf and think it's going to solve your problems when you've got complaints dealing with age discrimination, right? And so there's all kinds of stereotypes with if you're a baby boomer, if you're a Gen X or if you're a millennial, and now these people are working together and you want them to collaborate, you got to deal with that issue that comes along with those stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? And so there's just so many different areas that that's why I've been, that's why I take the civility approach is like, Make civility a core value at your organization, just like you have diversity, just like you have inclusion, just like you might have, you know, all your other core values. Make civility one of them. Hire a chief civility officer that is going to be your designated person that's going to see all of the efforts related to creating a respectful work environment and put some resources behind it. Right. So and then make sure there's accountability system. So there's a lot that can be done. And, and, you know, the reason why I decided to go about it this way, Brian, is because I, I have a huge passion for diversity and inclusion, and I do diversity and inclusion work. I do a lot of training in that area, but I wanted to do it a little bit differently because I think it's asking for too much from people to go from zero to let's all be diverse and inclusive. I think we need to get to the middle ground first where we can actually get along before we can be all in, you know, be there. So. I, I like to go about it a different way. So even when I do my diversity and inclusion trainings, it's very different than how other diversity and inclusion um, training experts do it because I really want to do a more round approach to empower everyone to be a part of that right. solution. I love that. So, you know, it's not for everybody. And I tell, and I, when I do my talk with my managers or the people that are bringing me to the organization, I tell them exactly what I'm going to say. And I, I make sure they understand that this is what I'm going to go in there and this is what I believe in. And this is what's going to work in my opinion, right? Do you know Tanya? Do you know? Do you know Tanya Morris? Have you ever met Tanya? Yeah, I think so. I have. Yes. Tanya, I did an episode with her a few episodes back right. on on diversity and inclusion, and you just reminded me so much of her in a way, because her thing is she goes to an organization and she starts talking about diversity in age first. Mm-hmm. Because she finds as soon as she brings up a race, people's guards get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she says, but nobody really gets too upset about being a millennial or being a Gen Xer. And it's an easier conversation to start. But once we get the ball rolling, it's much easier to transition to some of the more sensitive topics. Yeah. So I thought that was a clever approach, as is yours, to really start talking about civility, regardless of what the difference is. Mm-hmm. Civility is part of it every time. Absolutely. And, and and by the way, I love Tanya. You just reminded me, yes, she's got an excellent program on, on that issue. And, and But I, I think that what's also important about my approach is too, is I do a lot of work with, and you know this, unconscious bias, in my mm. approach, right? So again, going back to problem resolution. And when I think of diversity, Brian, I'm looking at just differences that we have. Everybody has differences between each other. You know, there's different layers to diversity, right? Your personality, all of our personalities are different. So that's a difference that we have to deal with within organizations. Then there's all these different layers, but at a very fundamental le- a level, 
we all have differences between us. And so what we need to know is that our lived experiences is going to shape the way that we react to things that are happening in the workplace. A lot of our reactions are based on our own unconscious beliefs, our preconceived notions because of information and things that we've been exposed to during our life. So the error rate, though, when we make these spontaneous judgments based on very little information in the workplace, right? So hiring, recruiting, promoting, are you hiring somebody because they have the skills and the qualifications or are you hiring them because they look like you or they think like you, they talk like you. And so you're more comfortable with that person. So there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done in that bias area. And that's a, just a huge passion of mine because, you know, I went through bullying and, and discrimination growing up. And so I've been on the other side of it. And I realized like a lot of people just don't realize that bias, having these unconscious biases is not a bad thing. It's normal. It's just the way that our brain is. But doing the work and educating employees on what they can do to understand their own bias, I mean, that is so empowering for a lot of employees. You know, I mean, I do this, I did two trainings yesterday and just to see people at the end saying, thank you so much. I, I can look at it differently now. It's not me versus you. But it's me because of what I've gone through and what I need to work on so that we can work effectively together. Right. It's just it's it's just a game changer. I mean, I love doing that. If someone's listening and maybe they're not an HR director, maybe they're an employee and they're going to work every day and there is someone who is not being civil to them. What do they do? Well, if you were, if they were to come to you, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So, so I look at that that spectrum that I just I described for you earlier. There's a whole spectrum of behaviors that happen. So, my approach is when I when I talk to leaders or employees at organizations is this: when you start seeing microaggressions happening in the work environment, because these are subtle, unintentional comments or actions taken against a person of a marginalized group, right? So people that are of a dominant group might not even pick up on it because they're so subtle. But somebody who's marginalized, who's constantly going through and dealing with hundreds of those on a daily basis for their whole life, right? So the way I like to talk about it is like paper cuts. Everybody has gotten a paper cut at one point or a mosquito bite in their life, right? You get a paper cut and it, it's, it's painful, it's annoying, you put a bandaid on it. It goes away. Now imagine getting hundreds of those every single day for the rest of your life. You've been, you've been dealing with it your whole life. So when a microaggression is happening or where someone is just rude or unprofessional, behavior that should not be tolerated at work, right? You want to start to disrupt that cycle from escalating early in the process. So we want to give people the tools. How do you speak up if somebody is rude or unprofessional or engages in a microaggression. Now, it's a huge important thing to recognize that one is unintentional. Microaggressions are unintentional because they come from a place of unconscious bias versus rude or unprofessional, which could be unintentional or they could be intentional, right? But the, the goal is it's not about judging that person at this stage. It's not about making them feel bad. It's not about canceling them or shaming them. It's about putting them on notice that the behavior that they're engaging in is making you feel uncomfortable. So it's violating your boundaries. Now, 
you want to put that person on notice in a professional, respectful way. Most people, if it's unintentional and you put them on notice, they're going to stop, right? So for all those people that say, I didn't intend to, or I was just joking, or you know, any of these excuses that I heard as a lawyer over and over again, that gets rid of those people. Because if it truly is unintentional, now you know, and you stop your behavior. So that person's only response then would be, I'm sorry, it's not about defending, right? It's not, a, so that culture example I gave you, of someone standing close to me. If I told that person, you know, I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, can you, here I go, I'm saying it again, because we're so used to saying, I'm sorry. Can you please um, move back a little bit? Cause that's making me feel uncomfortable. So now they know that their behavior and I'm staying very focused on the behavior. I'm very respectful. If it was really an issue where that person didn't know, what are they going to do? They're going to be mindful of that going forward and do their best to not do that again. That's what we want. We want people to realize like that behavior doesn't matter what your reason was for doing that, whether it was part of your culture, whether you were joking, it doesn't matter. Just the behavior. So that person's response would be, I'm sorry, Sigil. I will. I didn't realize that and I won't do it again. That's the only response. It's not about defending yourself. It's not about justifying. It's just about stopping that behavior so that we can continue to work together. Then most people are going to stop. If it continues and now it's repetitive and now it's happening again and again, now it needs to be escalated. And the organization then needs to deal with it before it turns into a lawsuit. Right. So now if Sajil goes to HR and says, look, I already told this person that I was uncomfortable by them standing next to me. And now it's happened 10 more times. Now the organization needs to get off the pot and do something about it. That's great. <laughs> That's Thank you. <laughs> That's great advice. So basically, there's a stance, you know, our first responsibility is we have to be able to, in a kind way, it sounds like, especially if it's a smaller microaggression, be able to stand up for ourselves and not feel bad say this is not okay you yes. know could you please not do this if you can right that's what we i tell people to do that if they're i encourage them to do that especially mm. at the rude unprofessional microaggression thing but like i said earlier it's not my responsibility it is the responsibility of everyone else that's seeing this happen. Mm. So somebody, if you were in the room and you saw my face get uncomfortable or I moved away and you noticed it made me feel uncomfortable, Brian, it's your responsibility to pull that person aside and say, hey, you know, I would just I just noticed that Sajel seemed like she got uncomfortable when you were standing really close to her. That person now knows about the behavior. So it's really the bystanders. We want to put the burden on the bystanders to mm -hmm. really speak up about these behaviors that are going on. And so that's the, that's really what I stress about is giving bystanders tips on how they can intervene when they see these microaggressions. And in order to do that, you have to give people examples. And this is what I mean about effective training and why checking the box doesn't work. We have to get people in a room, well now on a computer, to talk about scenarios that they might deal with and have them work out the solution, you know, to challenge them a little bit more about how would you do this? Having them role play with each other, having them talk about concerns that they might be dealing with, and then customizing solutions based on what they're actually seeing in their work environment. Amazing. Super helpful. And I, I something else that I wanted to talk to you about, 
I was just reading about a study, and this is probably doing in your work something you're already familiar with, from the University of Florida that studied the effect of rudeness on people. Mm-hmm. And this to me is sort of mind-blowing because to your point, many times people say, well, we don't want this to happen because we don't want to be sued and that will cost us money. Mm-hmm. But what this study found out they basically took sets of employees and some of them got to work normally and some of them were intentionally exposed to rude behavior. And the employees who were exposed to the rude behavior, whether it was from somebody on the team or somebody out, outside the team, their production and productivity plummeted. Mm-hmm. And they basically just weren't as good anymore. They were getting right. paid the same amount of money, but they weren't nearly as productive. So yeah. I guess my point that I'm trying to get to is the fact that if you allow incivility, it's more, it's costing you more than just a possible or a potential lawsuit down the road. It's costing you as soon as it happens and as soon as you tolerate it, it is costing you money. Way more, way more money because it's, it's again, that's where the toxic environment starts. And, it, and we know when we look at, you know, how much, how much an organization tolerates is going to be the level of harassment there, right? And so looking at their culture and the people and seeing sort of where the incivility is happening and how, and this is the thing, you know, that's why I tell organizations, ask your people where the problems are. Are there problems and what those problems are? Not just asking them, but you gotta have multiple ways of asking them, doing anonymous surveys, you know, doing interviews, doing all kinds of different things to figure out really what is going on and then create a comprehensive plan to address that. You know, I saw something the other day on, somebody had said, you know, why is incivility increased just this year? There are so many reasons, right? I mean, the global pandemic, I mean, that has created so many issues for leaders and organizations right now They've, in unprecedented ways where, you know, they're trying to just put out fires because they have to create new policies and new procedures and get set up for remote working and deal with all the medical, you know, the laws are changing weekly, it seems like, on COVID, and then you've got people working remotely. And so it's hard right now to, to remember that the culture still matters. Even if people aren't in the office as much or they're working remotely, you still have to care about your culture. There's a lot of instability that's skyrocketed. It's going on on the computer, on Zoom, on text messages, on email, on social media. I looked at a client's cyber harassment policy. There was nothing in there about cyberbullying, not one thing. And I go, you've got a major problem right now because cyberbullying has increased tenfold Absolutely. since people have started working from home. And we could go down a whole rabbit hole here, which should be another half an hour, so I don't want to. But I think anybody could take a look at our environment and see that people are much more polarized I don't want to say than ever, but since I've been paying attention and there's no way, I don't think that that doesn't come into the workplace a little bit. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. And that's why you want to take this opportunity to bring people together and to remind everybody that, you know, we are more similar than we're different. And you have to bring people together as a team in these trainings, in in whatever you're doing with your cultures. It's got to be about with team building in the, in the center of it, not to divide. So you have to be really careful about what you're doing with your training and who you're bringing in because, you know, 
I, I truly believe that right now is is it's a tipping point, you know, and I think that organizations need to be really careful about what and the other thing, too, is there's so much inconsistent information out there. Right. I mean, I don't know what to believe anymore when I'm looking at stuff online. So I think organizations have to be very responsible about what and making sure they're providing factual information to their employees because there's so much nonsense floating around. If you had to close with one statement that you could put out to the world, everybody would read it tomorrow and hopefully contemplate it. What would that be? I would encourage organizations to work on replacing institutional betrayal with institutional courage. So create a welcoming environment for your employees so that they can come to you when they have concerns and not be afraid of retaliation. That's what you want to strive for. And that's going to what's going to give you a culture strength. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> if someone wants to find out more about you, Sage, or maybe they are an HR director or an executive at a company that says we need to be thinking seriously about this, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. You know, if you're on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm a sh I believe in sharing information. So I'm always putting out good resources on the issues that I'm talked about here with you today solid resources that can help you and your organization in creating stability in your organization and then the, uh, and you can either follow me or connect with me there and then my website my company website is www.trainextra and it's t-r-a-i-n-x-t-r-a there's no e in the extra that would be the best way to get a hold of me okay train extra or on linkedin yep sage Thank you for taking the time. It has been great talking to you and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, Brian. I, I really had a great conversation.